We're live. All right, we're live. So we're going to get started tonight on Unit 2, Lesson 19 of our Answers in Genesis curriculum. This lesson, or the final one in this semester of our curriculum, is Corruption, Sin Enters the World. Now, I'm just we're going to do a quick review tonight because this will be our last Wednesday session in this semester. Because we did a review just like three weeks ago, um, we're not going to do the Unit 2 review at the end of this uh, unit, but we will be picking back up in the fall. Um, after we have summer break, we're going to pick back up with our Wednesday nights and go into less, uh, unit three. And in that unit, we're going to study through corruption and get into the very beginning of catastrophe, which of course is the flood. You know, this has been a great uh, unit. We've kind of come out of the creation week. We've, we've learned a lot about that period of time, about um, how old our earth is, about some of the things we can um, draw out of Genesis 1-2 and now into Genesis 3 today. Um, questions to some of the big, or answers to some of the big questions that people have about the world, about our beginnings, and um, about things even like dinosaurs or the environment. Um, we find all these answers contained in the Word. Today we're going to be uh, tackling another one of the big questions that I hear a lot of the time as a minister, and you've probably encountered people that have questions about this too. And um, I have the question actually written down at the end of today's um, notes, and I'm going to go ahead and start by just reading this because I think it'll set the tone for us of um, this evening's lesson. And that question is, why do bad things happen if God is good? I think this question really summarizes the the focus of tonight's study. Why do bad things happen if God is good? Like we say he is, like the words, uh, word says he is. If we believe that, then why is it that bad things still happen? And tonight we're going we're to look into corruption, the first sin of Adam and Eve, taking the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, um, where sin came into the world. Corruption occurred. Lesson focus tonight you can find this on your sheet. Sin and death entered the world through Adam. The first death occurred in the Garden of Eden when God killed an animal to clothe Adam and Eve after they disobeyed him. This first blood sacrifice pointed to the coming, perfect, complete, one-time sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So tonight um, we are going to look at some of the bad news. You know, we said uh, a number of weeks ago when we were kind of doing an overview of the gospel and talking about the history of the world in a summarized format. And we said in order to understand what's so good about the gospel, why it's really good news, you have to understand why it's bad news first. You have to, you know, in a superhero movie, you have to understand who the villain is before you understand why you've got a guy in tights fighting crime, right? You have to understand the, the negative before you see the benefit of the positive. And so um, tonight's lesson, as we get into corruption, we're going to see why it was necessary for Jesus to come and die on the cross as a sacrifice to pay the price for us. Um, we're going to go to Genesis 131, and this is in uh, your scripture sheet, first scripture on there tonight. We'll read this, then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and morning were the sixth day. And so this is scripture we've read a number of times. This is the very end of creation. God had created mankind. Everything was set. And um, what we see here is he says it's very good. When he was done creating, he had done all the work he was going to do, and he was beginning, uh, he's ready to go into the seventh day where he would rest. He said, this is very good. This is the way I've intended it. This is the way it was meant to be. This was my plan is how it is right now. This is very good. And so what I infer from that is that God is good because his creation was very good. God didn't create a bad, sinful, corrupt, death, disease creation. He created a very good creation of life and perfection on earth. You know, I was thinking about it this way. It's kind of like God's creation when he sits down here on day six and says, this, this is very good. It's kind of like the factory settings. I don't know if you've ever gotten something like a piece of technology that was new. I remember when I was younger, my dad had bought a new computer and he brought it home and he set it up and he was really proud of it and really happy about it. He said, now kids, you're not allowed to touch it. Because right now, it's perfect. And I don't want you to mess it up. <laughs> it, was, it was factory set. It was, it was running the optimal way that it was supposed to. It wasn't burdened down or weighted down by the games we wanted to play on there or the bugs that we picked up on the internet. It was factory set. And that's how our world was at the end of day six of creation. It was factory settings. It was the way it was intended to be. It was perfect, but then user error came along 
we started poking around in the factory set computer in the world God had given us and unfortunately we picked up some bugs the fall happens in Genesis 3 let's read this together this is on your notes and I'm gonna turn over there Genesis 3 1 1 um, and then we're gonna go all the way down here to verse 21 we'll read all this and then we're gonna come back and and kinda go through it now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And this is just kind of a side note. I thought it was interesting here that the serpent is described as a beast of the field. If you remember back to the day where the animals were created, there were the creeps and there were the beasts. And then, and then of course, we had livestock, right? So I think it's interesting here that the serpent, which I would call a creeping thing, was described in this case as a beast of the field. And then it was changed, of course, we'll see that later on when we see the serpent, um, well, really, kind of in a way cursed by God. He says, because of this, what's happened, you're, well, you're going to see it. So we'll just keep going here. It was turned into a creeper. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And I'm going to make this point while we're here, because I'm, I'm not sure if I've got it in the notes to circle back to later. But I think it's interesting, we see even in this initial temptation, this temptation wasn't disgusting. It wasn't gross. It, the, the, the sinful temptation that was put before her looked good. And so often, I think even today, we, uh, we're going to see a lot of the way we interact with the temptation that the devil brings our way. We're going to see that, of course, in this story. And I think when we think on the temptation that we encounter in life, so often it's the same way. Oh, it looks good. It's good for food. It, 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 that'll satisfy me in some way. This looks appealing in some way. It's delightful to the eyes. Oh, it doesn't look like there's anything wrong with this. Well, if we take that as our measure of whether we ought to interact with it or not, we're going well, to end up in sin like Adam and Eve did. You know, we can't judge the... the um, the validity of something. We can't judge whether or not we ought to be taking part of it um, based on what it looks like on the outside. We really have to go to the Word of God to determine if something is right for our life and good for our life or if it's something we ought to avoid. Because he didn't just say, God's, if we go back actually to verse 3 here, you shall not eat of the fruit of that tree, you shall not touch it. He didn't say just don't eat it. He said don't even touch it. And so I think, you know, sometimes, I guess what I'm getting at with this is sometimes the things that look appealing and look like a good situation and look like something I ought to just go along with because it looks good, seems good, seems like it'll fulfill something. Well, really what we need to do is not judge it based on what it looks like, but we need to go to the Word of God and find out what the Lord has to say about it because His Word may have a different, a, a, a different direction than what our physical senses would say about something. And so ultimately, as we've said through this study, the Word is the final deciding factor. The Word is the authority. And so even on these things, we go to the Word to see what is something we want as a part of our life and what we ought to stay away from. Amen. So um, going on here, you'll not surely die. God knows you eat of it, your eyes will be open. When the woman saw the tree was good, it was a delight to the eyes. Um, it says she took an eight. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. We're going to come back to that statement, who was with her. And he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Let's look at a verse comparison here, Genesis 3, 1, which we started with. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? In Genesis 2, 16 through 17, the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is going to be important as we go on because the devil, you know, another thing we'll see with his temptation is not only does so often it look good, but he, he tries to kind of get it close to something that we know to be true. You know, it's like he takes something that's almost true and he uses that to get us to engage with it. 
He doesn't come at us with a false, totally blatant, totally outright lie that we can just detect and pick up and shoot it down right away. He comes kind of close, and, and he is contradicting God here, and we're going to get into this, but what he's really doing is twisting God's word. You know, he's, he's wanting to get Eve drawn into this where she'll engage and go through the discourse. I don't know if you've ever done this before when you're feeling temptation. Have you ever engaged in the discourse and started going along with it and started having the conversation, the dialogue in your mind? Well, that's not technically what was said. That's not what that verse technically means. Let's just talk through it till I reach a conclusion that I'm comfortable with so that I can do this thing that I'm feeling tempted to do. You know, we see so much here in Genesis 3, things we encounter in our own life. Um, verse about the dragon, we'll come back to that a little bit later. Let's finish up uh, reading this, this story of the uh, well, first sin of man, the fall. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Turned the, the beast into a creep. We, we serve a powerful God that can do what he wants. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. We're going to come back to that verse later, too. There's, there's a glorious truth contained right there. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth your children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. <clears throat> Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and clothed them. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand... And take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. So there we have it. The story of corruption entering the world. The fall of man. I'm sure you have Many questions about what we just read. I know a lot of people that read this story or hear this story or a, or a version of this story preached somewhere sometime come away from that story with a lot of questions. And so tonight we're going to go through this and see just what we can draw out of the word here in understanding. You know, we said right at the start, uh, before this verse, this set of verses occurred, what we had was God's perfect creation, factory settings. And this was the process we see where those settings were messed with, tampered with, you know, there was a sin that occurred on the part of Eve and Adam. And because of that, um, we see things begin to change. We see the serpent change from this beast of the field down to something that has to crawl on its belly. We see um, woman change in a sense where now there is pain and childbearing. And we see for man um, to work and produce things of the ground, there now has to be great effort in the way that it's done. You know, something interesting I found in this study is that we've talked a lot about kinds and variations over the past few weeks. And one of the things we've discussed is how um, within a kind, there can be many variations of something. You know, we've got all, all different breeds of dogs. Well, they're all dogs, right? I think something interesting and something that people want to say for evolution is, well, things have, you know, adapted. They say hey, things have evolved over time, right? 
I mean, you'll, you'll hear that. And, and there may even be certain proofs to back that up. You know, you look at dogs, for example. There are some dogs that have no fur on them at all, and there's other dogs that look like a pillow. I mean, you have a great difference in these dogs, and what that is is, is an adaptation. It's a change, and that's not unbiblical to see change occur after a creation. It's still the same kind. It's just had a change. We see that with the serpent, that there was a change in the way that it, that it you know, lives. And, and that was because of a sinful act, a, a, an act that brought death, um, not only into the world, but also into the, the well, kind of serpents. Um, we see change in woman and, and in man and their um, efforts and work. We see in woman, you know, the change that now um, there's pain in childbearing where there would not have been before. And so change is not something that is unbiblical at all. Um, and, and so to that point, if somebody's talking about evolution and they say, well, there's, you know, changes over time, we'll say, yeah, the Bible's full of changes. There's all kinds of change to creation in the Bible. We see that from the very beginning till now. Things have changed. That's not unbiblical. Um, but, but we obviously don't want to fall into the trap of that must mean av evolution is true as well. It's not, and we've studied that extens extensively throughout this. And so fall corruption comes through the sin of mankind. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, talking about the serpent. You know, I think there, there has been a degree of confusion for, for some people about the serpent. What does that mean? Some people probably would even, um, you know, say that, well, could this story even be true? I mean, here we have a serpent that's speaking. Well, if we read 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, it shows us something that we see in the New Testament that reveals something about uh, what happened here in Genesis. 2 Corinthians 11, 3, Paul writes, But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is Christ. He's writing to the Corinthian church here, and he's saying, just the same way that Eve was deceived you know, through this serpent, so the same way some of you are being deceived today. And I'm, I'm you know, afraid or, or concerned for you that you're going to give in to this deception like Eve gave in to the deception. What that tells me is that it wasn't just some random snake that was talking to Eve in the garden. It was the same adversary that is deceitful today. The same liar, king of lies that lies to us today was lying to Adam and Eve in the garden 6,000 years ago. It's not just some random snake. It, it's the serpent. You know, we, we could look, actually, I think if we go back to Revelation, that one that popped up here, Revelation 12, verse 9. I think I'm almost there. Here it is. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. This serpent is the devil, not just some random snake. And so what we have here right at the beginning is, is we know that the devil must have been present after creation. He was created in creation week, just like everything else. He is creation. He's not God, so he had to have been created. He was created probably between the first and third day of creation. And then uh, what we would have had here is, is between the sixth day of creation and the time of the fall, which is something we're going to talk about in a moment, sometime in that period, he would, have, he would have been cast down to earth. He wouldn't have been here in the very good creation. Wouldn't you agree with that? There's nothing very good about that, about him being here. But he was cast down to the earth with the angels, as it says here, the portion of the angels. And then he was dwelling, and, and he began to speak. You know, just like we talk many times about us being vessels for the Holy Spirit, right? What we see today and, and what we see in the garden is the devil uses other people that are yielding themselves as vessels to work on us. This is what he did with the serpent. And, and you know, I, I don't know for certain if, if it was, I believe it was a, an actual serpent that, that was approached that, or that approached Eve, because then we see God talk about the serpent and he changes this serpent creature, you know, to be creeping rather than a beast. And so, um, you know, I, th I think he did use a physical serpent, but it was, it was the enemy speaking through that serpent, just like how we talk in Ephesians 6 about we don't war against flesh and bone, but about spirits and, and principalities, evil spirits. You know, this is the same thing here. Adam and Eve weren't fighting a snake. They were fighting the, the devil, the adversary. And he was, you know, using this serpent as a vessel to speak. You know, I, talking about vessels that are yielded, obviously you and I, we, we have to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit to be used by him. We know that. 
Well, in the same way, to a degree, people have to yield themselves to the devil to be used by him. This serpent would have had to have yielded itself over to the devil. It, it, he didn't just get to come in and take control and you know, shake the snake until it did what he wanted. There had to be a yieldedness, which makes sense why God would then change the serpent, because the serpent had engaged with yielding itself to the adversary. Well, in the same way today, there are people that, whether they are you know, possessed by a spirit, because that, that is a real thing, there are people who are possessed by evil spirits, but we, we, maybe to a lesser degree, see people indwelt by the enemy in that they're being used by him to speak deceit into your life, to speak a lie into your life. You know, the, the devil, I've never heard him out loud. I've never heard the devil talk to me in his voice, but I've heard him talk to me through some other people's voices. You know what I'm talking about tonight. And so we see the same thing here. We see it still today. You know, he doesn't have any new tricks. He's doing the exact same thing. We're not fighting against people, but the adversary wants to use people to deceive us, to lie to us. And so we have to be aware of that. And when it comes, just like how we look back on the story of Adam and Eve and how we say, no, Eve, don't take the fruit. Don't do it. We have to have that same view for ourselves today because we might not come to, to a temptation of, oh, look at this fruit. You know, we're probably not going to find that in our life. But you, what, about, what about when we hear a, a lie or, or somebody says something to us that's contradictory to what the Bible says about you and I as children of God? Am I going to receive that? Am I going to touch that? We're talking about the fruit, he said, don't eat it, don't touch it. Don't even touch it. Sometimes in our own life, I think we need to be aware of when the enemy is speaking and say, I'm not even going to touch that. I'm not even going to get close to that. We don't have snakes whispering in our ears, but we definitely have people doing this thing that the devil did in Genesis 3, twisting and tempting with the word of God. You know, we saw this in the early, earlier example where um, there was the slide of comparison where, I'll just go back to it right here, Genesis 3, 1, which is where the serpent puts his spin, his twist on what God said in Genesis 2, where we actually see the command from God. And I think many times there is this twisting that the enemy wants to use. You know, what the serpent did here is he, re he repeated a twisted version of something that God really said. It's a little bit of truth mixed with a lot of poison. My grandma's example of this, of course, is a little bit of poop in the brownie, right? You take a lot of something good with with a little bit of something bad. And if you can get somebody to eat that, well, they've eaten the bad thing. They've eaten the bad fruit. And this is, this is his ploy with, with Eve as he says, is that really what God said that you can't do this? Well, she recognized that that wasn't the truth, but what it did was open a door for the enemy to further deceive her and talk to her. He started this conversation. He, she did the back and forth with the devil. And really... You know, if we looking back at it now, we see it is a direct contradiction to the word of God. I mean, what the devil is saying here to her, it probably sounded like, oh, just, you know, this serpent just doesn't understand what God really said. So I'll, I'll inform him. Well, we know that's not true. What the, what the serpent and what the devil was doing was outright contradicting the word of God, trying to get Eve to go along with this thought that I don't have to do what God's word said I have to do. And this is so often what we see the devil do is twist and tempt, contradict the word of God. We did say earlier the fruit looked good. Temptation often does. Eve believed. This is really the, the bottom line to this conversation between the serpent and Eve. This is where it really all fell apart. Eve believed the serpent rather than God. That, that's where it all fell apart is when Eve believed the serpent rather than God. And you know, there's steps along the way. We could talk about the steps in temptation where maybe she, she should have just not even been near the tree to begin with. Maybe when the serpent came over and started talking to her, she should have said, I don't know if that snake's supposed to be talking to me. I'm going to go away. When he started talking about the fruit, maybe I should have backed away from this conversation. When he said something that wasn't true, quoting God, misquoting God, maybe I should have stepped away from this conversation. I mean, there were steps along the way where she could have backed off. But the, the ultimate thing, I think, where we see it change and turn is when she buys into what the serpent was saying rather than what God was saying. And this is at the heart of our answers in Genesis study. This apologetic curriculum we're doing is we have to believe what God says over what anyone else would say. Right. 
No matter what they're saying. If it's, if it's not in line with the word of God, I don't care who's saying it. I don't care how prominent they are. I don't care how much other scripture they can quote. If it's not in line with the word, I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to receive it. And what you trust, look to, and prioritize as truth is really the bottom line here. That's what we see with Eve is what, what is it, if we ask this question, what is it that she trusts the most? Is it the word of God or is it, you know, this, this serpent's idea about the fruit? Um, is it her priority to keep the word of God? You know, I think Eve, she catches a lot of flack, obviously, for being the one that talked, had the conversation with the serpent and brought it. But another thing we have to consider here, too, about this sin and why both Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, why both of them were affected by the fall, is Adam failed in his responsibility also. You know, not only did he receive of the fruit as well, but it says he was with her. You know, Eve didn't deceive him into taking this. It's not like she hid it or mixed it into something else and Adam ate it and he didn't know about it. And, you know, woman, why did you do this? It's the woman you, you gave me. He failed his responsibility also. It says he was with her. Now, we, we could make ideas about what that means. He was with her. Was he right next to her, talking to the serpent with her? I don't know. Was, was he near her, just in the general vicinity? It's probably one of those two. It says he was with her. You know, if I say I'm with someone, I'm around. I know what's going on with them. He was aware that she was talking to the snake. She was aware, or he was aware that she was eating the fruit. And unfortunately, you know, Adam didn't, he didn't step up to the leadership role that God had placed him in the garden to take. He didn't step up to his dominion. And by not stepping into dominion and authority, he gave it away. And I think there, there's, there's a powerful lesson to be learned there as well as that if, if I'm not willing to step up and take a hold of the authority and responsibility and dominion that God's given me, then ultimately I'm going to lose it. Because if we're looking at the world, somebody was going to have dominion. Someone was going to be the leader, in this sense, over the earth. And it sure wasn't Adam, is what we see here. It wasn't going to be Adam because he, was, he passively allowed this to happen in front of him. He passively allowed the word of God to be trampled upon by the serpent and Eve. And that's just not something that a person with dominion can allow to happen. And so for... Adam, we see his, his big failure here, not only that he ate of the fruit, but even more so, he failed uh, to own the responsibility and dominion God had given him. He failed to lead as the, the authority on earth at that time. It was a failure to lead, a failure to speak up, and a failure to obey God. It wasn't a good day. You know, I think in that, kind of further dissecting this, I, I think... Adam was probably struck with a different temptation. You know, so many times talking about the fall of man and this, this sin, it, you know, it's the, the, tempta the first temptation is what some people would call it. I think Adam faced a temptation here too, and it's what we just said. He was tempted to step back and just let it happen. He, he was tempted to not get into something where he might, wait, might make his wife mad or, or he might have to face the devil, do a little bit of fighting, do a little bit of praying, and I, I, I guess I was just thinking over that, preparing for this, and I thought, why is it that he would sell out dominion, let this happen right in front of him? And I think part of the reason for it is, is ultimately, I don't think it was naivety. He knew. He knew he wasn't supposed to take the fruit. He knew Eve wasn't supposed to take the fruit. I believe part of this was a greater love for himself or for his wife than for keeping the command of God. You know, I, I don't want to step out and do what I know is right because I'm going to be more comfortable if I don't. What that really is, is, is a love for self over a love for God and his word. So this is the temptation we see Adam fall into, is this temptation um, to, to be passive in his responsibility. And then uh, here in just a few moments, we'll talk about the side effects or the results of this corruption. I think this is where we're going to find a, a lot of um, kind of the apologetic questions answered. But one of the things I want us to touch on before we go there 
is the timeline for this. You know, I think this is a question that's asked sometimes is when did this sin occur? We know it didn't happen in the first six days because it was very good creation. But when did, it, when did it actually occur? You know, was it a long period of time after? You know, is this, is this time in between six, day six of creation and the fall of man? Is this going to mess up our 6,000 year timeline? No, it will not. There was a command to reproduce. Let's go to Genesis 1, um, 28. We're going to see this command God gave. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, and every living thing that moves on earth. God says here, be fruitful and multiply. Part of that multiplication obviously was, was children, having children, reproducing on earth. Look at another scripture on our sheet here, Genesis 4.1, right under the other. It says, now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. This was after they left the Garden of Eden that Adam knew his wife and they conceived um, the son Cain. What we can find from this, looking at these two passages, is that it could not have been very long after day six. It would have had to have been soon after because if Adam and Eve would have waited a really long time, we're waiting to have kids. You know, we want to get settled into the garden before we have kids, right? If they would have done that, that would have been the first sin because that would have been the command from God that they ignored to not have kids and reproduce shortly after being brought into the garden would have been sinful. And because that wasn't the, you know, first sin in the fall of man, um, we know it couldn't have been very long. Because to wait too long would have been sin. And we know that, um, well, so the way we, we uh, an argument against this, I guess what I'm saying is someone could say, well, maybe they were trying for years in the garden and they just couldn't have a child. What we know is this, at the beginning, Eve's body was perfect. There was no corruption in Adam or Eve. There, there was no issue whatsoever with bearing children, conceiving children. I mean, first try, it would have happened. And so we, we know it couldn't have happened in the garden or there would have been a son in the garden or a daughter in the garden. And so it had to have been soon, otherwise it would have been sin. And I would say it was a few days. In fact, there's, there's one idea out there um, in the 1700s. There's a saint that, um, you know, they, they were studying the Bible, a Bible scholar, and they inferred that the 10th day, the day of atonement maybe, was the day um, that, that this occurred. Day 10 was one guess. That because that's the day set aside, maybe that was the day that Adam and Eve sinned and, and left the garden. I don't know the date for sure. We just know it was soon after. So working with our general timelines, we're, we're still on track for the 6,000-year timeline. It would have been shortly after day six in the garden is when they would have, uh, would have left, would have sinned and been brought out. So that gives us also a timeline for Satan falling from heaven. And this is another thing I think people question about is when, when, you know, when did the devil come to earth? shortly after very good creation. Shortly after day six and before the fall occurred, it would have been in that time period. So probably, I don't know, probably day eight, day nine, maybe day 10, 11, 12. I mean, it was, it was probably in the week after creation um, is when all of this would have happened, when Satan fell from heaven. We read in Revelation 12, verse 9, where it talked about that. I also put on the notes here, Isaiah 14, a chapter that discusses that event as well. So this gives us a timeline for these things as well. You know, I've had people ask me this, when did, you know, when did the devil fall to earth? And at times I didn't know what to say, but now I know. It happened after day six because creation was very good, but it happened before the fall, which would have had to have been a few days um, after Adam and Eve were created. So we get this timeline we kind of understand the, the progression of things. We're going to spend really the remaining time tonight talking about 
the results of sin. And this is where we find answers to some of the questions people have um, about, about God and about his sovereignty, about his goodness. I think people use, people use uh, corruption in the world to try to challenge the goodness of God. Something I hear a lot. People say, well, how could a good God allow these bad things to happen? This is what we find in the results of sin. We read them in Genesis um, 3, 9, 12 through 13. Let's see if I can back us up to there. <clears throat> but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? I heard the sound of you in the garden and was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Who told you you were naked? You've eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. What is this you've done? The serpent deceived me. Some of the results we see right away are shame, guilt, and blame. Shame, guilt, and blame. Three of the very first corrupt things to happen as a result of sin, shame, guilt, and blame. They were shame-filled because they understood they were naked. That was shame, which, of course, we would see as a result of sin all throughout history. Guilt. Immediately, there, you, you can just tell from this encounter that there was guilt. God says, where are you? Do you like, where did you go? I'm, I'm looking for you. And Well, Adam says... I'm naked, I sinned. He knows immediately that what was done was wrong and he feels the weight of that. And blame. We see this passing on of the responsibility. It was the woman who you gave me to be with. It wasn't my fault, Lord. They started it. All the parents said amen to that. <laughs> passing the blame. Some of the immediate side effects of sin. Another side effect of sin is death. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22 says, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Death came as a result of sin. Genesis 3, 21 is another verse that touches on the topic of death. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife, garments of skins and clothed them. What we see here is the first physical death in the world. It wasn't a man, it was an animal. Because in order for skins to have been sewn together to make these garments for Adam and Eve, something would have had to die. In order to cover the shame, guilt, the blame that was being passed because of this sin, something had to give its life, give its blood. Of course, in the old... In the Old Covenant, Old Testament, the best that would be done is just covering it up. It was still there. The sin was still there. The guilt, the shame was still there, but it was just covered up. It was just hidden. Praise God in the New Testament. It's not just covered, it's washed. This foreshadowed, this, this skinning of animals, it foreshadowed the need for bloodshed to atone for sin. Indeed, under the law, Hebrews 9.22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Blood would be required to pay the price for sins. And if you were here Sunday, you know we had the price paid for us. Amen. Next thing we see as a result of sin is the enmity between kingdoms. This was in Genesis 3 verse 15 and I shall put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel now I told you earlier we'd come back to this because there is a significant wonderful promise of God right here at the very beginning right after this sin had occurred God already had the plan he already knew how this would result the seed that would crush the devil's head in some translations is actually capitalized because it's referring to Jesus. Jesus is the seed that would come and crush the head of the serpent. Obviously we know serpent, as we've already looked at, represents the devil, the adversary, Satan. It's foreshadowing the day Satan would bite Jesus and by the same means, it says the, the snake will bite your heel and by that same heel you will crush his head. 
The, the serpent, the enemy, put Jesus on a cross, and by the cross, Jesus crushed the devil's head Amen. by the same means. We see so much representation and symbolism of Christ as the sacrifice for all sin. Right at the beginning, God knew there would be a plan. An enmity between kingdoms, a battle between light and dark, yep. righteousness and evil. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom, well, that would become the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of the, the enemy. We talked about stewardship and dominion last week. We know that, well, the devil got the, got the dominion from Adam and Eve. They gave it over to him. And so the, he would become the king, the ruler over this world, but Jesus would come and defeat him and become the king of the world. Once again, our king, once again, who is a higher kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. So there is an, an enmity between these kingdoms. Sacrifice and atonement are another result we see from this original sin. Romans 5, 17 through 21. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as though one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more." So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This atonement that would be necessary was this sacrifice of Christ. We already talked about the blood that would be required to pay the price for sin. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, came and paid this price once and for all. It was the last sacrifice that would be necessary by one man Sin, death entered to reign. Judgment came. But through one man, the gift of grace and righteousness would come. Yeah. Praise God. Yes. We also see in the scripture of Romans 5 that the works of Adam and Eve were insufficient to cover sin, just as our own works are insufficient. And it talks about the law here. Moreover, the law entered that offense, the offense might abound. The, the law, trying to keep these good works to pay the price on our own, it didn't work. It wasn't a system that, that worked. That's why a new covenant, a better covenant came. That's why Jesus came and paid the price. If, if the law, if good works could pay the price for you, we'd still be doing good works to pay the price. But we can't do it. Even in the Old Testament, they couldn't do it. Nobody kept it. They still had to pay the price for sin by sacrificing animals, by, by giving this blood of, a, of another, giving life so that life might come to them, so that forgiveness of sins might come to them. Praise God. We are given a free gift of grace. It is not of our own good works, but the grace of God. One last thought about this sacrifice, and then we'll talk for our last few minutes about the apologetic points of this. The gospel, Christ coming to pay the price for sin, even Adam and Eve sinning in the garden was not plan B. Right. If we read 1 Peter 1, 20 through 21, you know, I think many times people may, may have the mindset that, you know, well, if God knows everything, didn't he know that they would do that? Yes, he did. And it's amazing that he loves and wants us so much, he did it anyways. He knew when he was creating Adam and Eve in the garden, when he was creating the trees in the garden, he knew that there was going to come a day that they would sin and it would become necessary to pay the price of life, to pay a price of blood of his son, a perfect lamb, that they might be made right again. And he chose to do it anyway. 1 Peter 1, 20-21. He indeed, talking about Jesus, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, 
but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. It says Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world, before anything was even created. He was picked, positioned, ordained as the one who would be the sacrifice. It really, I don't know about you, but for me it gives some perspective on how good God is. That he knew it and chose to do it anyways. I mean, if, if I'm, and I'm just thinking my own life and my humanity, if I knew something bad was going to happen, I probably wouldn't do it. You know, even if I knew there would be gain to it, I mean, I would have to have so much love for, for someone to say, I know you're going to hurt me, but I want you so bad. I love you so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it happen. I'm going to let myself get hurt because of my love for you. I'm going to let myself take a loss because of my love for you. This is what God did for us. It wasn't plan B. It wasn't, I created them, they messed it up, now i got to figure out something else. He knew from the beginning, before the foundations of the world, what would happen. He knows the beginning from the end. And yet, he did it anyways. Let's look now at the apologetic points. As we have just a few minutes left tonight, this is kind of a heavy topic, you know, talking about corruption. Isn't it like the sin of man, Jesus having to be the sacrifice for our sins? It, it's, I mean, it, it is a sobering thing to discuss, but it's so important because it sets a foundation for so much understanding of how things work. Listen, if you don't know that sin brought all of these horrible things into the world, then you're going to be blaming God that they're here. God didn't do it. Man did it. So we can't blame him for that. Let's talk about this a little bit. Sinful state of mankind. You know, one of my favorite ways to approach the apologetics topic is to talk about questions or statements that maybe we've heard before. I don't know if you've ever heard this one. I wrote it down for you here. The, it's not fair that we all pay the price for Adam's sin statement. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody about this? Well, if I was in the garden, I wouldn't have eaten it. I wouldn't have done it. I would have said no thank you. Let's look at Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Okay, so that's a little humbling to read. You know, I think... Anybody who, who can honestly look at this like honestly look at this temptation of Adam and Eve, especially you know now because we have Christ, He has renewed our hearts. We have we've been made new, right? New creations in Christ. Praise God. And so, this verse of Jeremiah seventeen verse nine, because I've been made new in Christ, this doesn't apply. My heart is not deceitful and wicked because. I have Christ and the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. Amen? Amen. But prior to that, in, in my own condition, de deceitful and wicked would have accurately described my heart. Before Christ came in and changed my heart, it would not have been right. And you know, th what this does is it, it brings up the question of God's sovereignty and mankind's free will. Couldn't God just do anything he wants? Yes, he could. So why doesn't he? Because he is a just God who wanted people to serve him and love him of their own choosing. Otherwise, he wouldn't be a good God. He would be, I, I don't know, a, a programmer a computer programmer that, that makes us, programs us, that we have no choice. We just do what we have to do. He's a good God. And he wants people that want to be with him. So free will. It's been present since the very start 
of creation from, from the very start. Unfortunately, free will left to itself doesn't always make the best decisions. You know, talking about our timeline, is it in, it's, it's kind of discouraging, really, that it took Lucifer less than a week to get kicked out of heaven, to lead a rebellion against God. It took Adam and Eve probably less than a week to disobey God and get booted out of the Garden of Eden. I mean, that's discouraging. We need the Spirit to lead us. Because my own, left, left to myself, my own thoughts and free will without God in me is not so good. So I'm, I'm grateful that I have the Spirit in me to lead me. To, to filter my decisions with the Word and the Spirit. It's good news. So free will and sovereignty of God, they're both, they're, they're both a part of how, um, of how this happened. Was God absolutely has the power. He, he can do whatever He wants, but because He's a good God, He gave us free will, and He sticks to the rules. This is another thing about God. He, he doesn't cheat the system. Yes, God, he, he could have just sent the devil away and he could have hit the refresh button and made it all again, done it all over. But he doesn't change the rules. He, he sticks with, with what legally has happened because there was a transfer of dominion. He stuck with that system. And he made a way out of it in Christ. He, he paid the price to reobtain it, to repurchase it. He took the legal route rather than cheating because he's a good God. He's a just God. We talked about the need for atonement. We know that this is something we, we all need, atonement for all of sin and fallen short of the glory. Well, here, um, the word atonement is once, once separated from God. I think the notes say form. It should be from God. Once separated from God. Jesus made us right again. He atoned us. I saw a cute little way to break down this word atonement, at one meant. At one meant atonement, okay? We're meant to be at one with God. This is what atonement is about. This is what Christ's coming was all about, is bringing us back into one relationship with God before there was a separation, there was a divide. You know, we see this with Adam and Eve. At one point, they were at one with God. He would come down into the garden and walk and talk with them. But then sin came and there was a separation, a division. Jesus came and made a way for us to be at one with God again. I don't have separation. There's no wall between he and I. I am at one with my Father. We see God's mercy and grace all throughout history from then until now. You know, uh, we're not going to do a summary of the word. We don't have time to do we don't have. We're not going to summarize, you know, the Bible tonight. But, I mean, if we just took a brief glance... How, how often do we see his mercy in the word? Mercy that, that people didn't get what they should have gotten. That's right. The children of Israel, time and time again, not getting what they deserve because he's a merciful God. The disciples, time and time again, not getting what they deserve because he's a merciful God. Me and you, time and time again, not getting what I deserve because we, we live and serve a merciful God. God's grace, of course. Present, the gift. You know, Ephesians 2 7 here, the ages, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He has given us the gift of grace. A couple last conversation points uh, in this apologetic part of tonight's lesson. Um, I think this is an important thing to understand that it was not a fruit but disobedience that caused the fall. Right. And so often we think about Adam and Eve and, and this sin and we think, oh, if they just hadn't eaten the fruit, that stupid fruit. It wasn't about the fruit. It was about their hearts. Yeah. It was about disobedience. Yeah. That's true for us. It, it's not about what you put your hand to, it's, it's not even about what you said. It's about your heart. It's about being in line with the Word of God. It's about prioritizing the Word of God. It's, it's about having a love for God and a, and a love for His commandments. And obedience is a result of that. 
Obedience is a result of that. Genesis 2.16 And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. And then he goes on and talks about, Don't eat this tree. There was a command. It wasn't, it wasn't just about the fruit. It was about the disobedience. It was not a mere action, but the invitation for sin and the selling of authority that was so impacting. You know, it wasn't that he ate this fruit. It, it, it was what, what, what it invited in. What it enabled the devil to do. It, it gave him permission. It gave him authority. It was an invitation for evil to come in. You know, before this, they had no knowledge of evil. Only of good. And so, what would have they lived their life on? An abundant life by God. Because there was no e They knew nothing of evil. They were totally unaware of it, and so they lived completely without it. Unfortunately, this first sin, it, it wasn't so much that here comes the fruit. But when I you know, look at you know, a drawing of Adam and Eve holding this fruit in their hands, what I don't... What I see isn't a fruit and a couple of people. I see disobedience and, and, I, and I see sin and death. I, and, I, and I see, you know, just a, a disregard for the command of God. <clears throat> and what this means, we talked about the results of sin, the results of the fall. Talked about death, disease, corruption. This kind of goes along with, uh, you know, some of the evolution and some of how old is the earth some of these aging arguments that we've talked so much about over the last weeks. Fossils, fossils present an interesting point here because if the fall happened after day six in the Garden of Eden, then dinosaurs and their bones could not have existed until after the fall. It had to be after the fall occurred that all the dinosaurs died, that all the animals died. Otherwise, the world wasn't very good. On day six, for that to be true, that animals were dying, dinosaurs were dying before that, that would mean that the, the word was lying because death would have been present before the fall of man. But we know that death came into the world because of this fall, because of the sin. Rock layers, evolution, these both go along with this conversation about, you know, when did, when did all of this happen? Well, it was about 6,000 years ago. And then the flood came and it was a mass burial where sediment and rock and, and mud and all of these things came and piled on and buried very quickly, very rapidly, all of these bones of creatures that had died. And so we know that there was not a long evolution. We know that there was not a large gap. Rather, it would have been just a few days after day six of creation when God said that this is very good. That is when corruption would have come into the world. So going back to our question that we started with tonight, why do bad things happen if God is good? The answer to this is very, very easy. We live in a corrupt world. When this comes up in conversation, this, this isn't, you know, to us it makes a lot of sense. It's a simple answer. Why do bad things happen if God is good? Because the world is not good. Because the world is full of sin and death. Because, I actually, I wrote down a bunch of things here. Death, disease, suffering, pain, sin, guilt, blindness to the truth, physical mutations, disabilities, natural disasters, spiritual fights are all a result of God's very good creation becoming corrupted. All of those things are results of corruption. It wasn't God's will. It wasn't His intention. He didn't call any of this very good. He said that the garden... Day six, you know, man, before the devil was cast down. That was very good. This was not very good. This needed a savior, someone to come in and purchase back the world that he had designed. And as people live today, you know, we know that Christ came and paid the price. Christ came and bought back the authority. He did crush the head of the serpent. People without Christ are still without authority. 
people without relationship with Christ, without knowledge of the Word and what God's promises contained in the Word are, um, they are still in this system. They're still living in a, in a bad world. You know, I know heaven's going to be so much greater because there's going to be no flesh, none of this world on it. But I live pretty good compared to how a lot of people in the world live. I, I feel like I don't, I don't know about you, Christian believer who lives an abundant life, but there are a lot of things in life that I feel like I just breeze right through it when so many other people are just pulled down by it. Well, that's not because of me. It's because I, I'm living in authority. I'm, I'm living more like God's intention for our life. I'm, I'm living heaven on earth. Amen. I'm living with Christ. I'm living with the Holy Spirit. Makes it so much better. So much more the way God intended for it to be. Faith in the blood of Jesus gives us access to the abundant life. To the good life. The very good life. Amen. So to summarize tonight's lesson, you know, we, we hit a lot of points in there. I mean, we talked about death the first time it died. We talked about a timeline. You know, I think from an apologetic standpoint, one of the things that I, I think will benefit you the most is knowing how to answer this question. If God is good, why do bad things happen? Because this is a question that people in the world have. They don't understand. We talk about a good God, but we don't, you know, it's kind of uncomfortable to talk about some of this. It just is. It's, it's uncomfortable to talk about death. It's uncomfortable to talk about shame and guilt, temptation and giving into it, because it's something we've all done. We know that we've all done it. But if we don't talk about this part and why all of the bad stuff has occurred and is present today, then people get a distorted view of God. And we want to give them an accurate view of God. We want to, you know, when you are in relationship with someone, you know them. We know him, but they don't. The world doesn't know him. And so, you know, being able to answer a question, a hard question like this, why do bad things happen? Well, it's not because God wants them to happen. You know, he has a glory. He, in fact, he made a glorious plan and he acted on it. He made a sacrifice for you so that you don't have to continue living with all of the bad. You can live an abundant life here, now, because Jesus paid the price for that. It's good news, isn't it? Amen. Understanding this part makes the good so much gooder, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Gooder. gooder. <laughs> Let's pray and close our time together tonight. Father, we thank you that even among the corruption, which you knew before the founding of the earth, you knew this would happen, Lord. Thank you that you paid the price for redemption. You sacrificed life. You sacrificed the blood of your only son, Jesus, so that we might not be stuck in this system of the world, so that we might not be stuck in the corruption and, and, and death that was brought into this world back in Genesis, Lord. We thank you that you have a plan. It's not plan B, but it was the plan from the beginning. We thank you that you are such a good God, such a loving God, that even knowing these, the horrible uh, result of man's sin, Lord, you still chose to create us. You still chose to give your son to us. God, we're so thankful for that tonight. We thank you for this understanding of why death is present, why disease, uh, sickness, corruption, some physical things even that we see happening in the world today, Lord, why it happens. Questions that people ask over and over without understanding, Lord. We thank you that the eyes of our understanding have been enlightened here tonight, Lord, that we understand why there is bad in the world. It's not because of you, Lord. We glorify you for the goodness that is here. We glorify you for the abundant life that we take part in, God. We thank you for legally purchasing this life for us. We take full ownership of that now. Unlike Adam's decision 
to not own the responsibility and dominion you've given him. Lord, tonight, we take ownership of that. We say yes to the abundant life you've given us, Lord. We thank you for your gift, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for these sessions together, Lord, for this curriculum that we're going over, that we find answers to some of these big questions in life. We thank you not only that our understanding, our revelation is being built up, God, but we thank you too that you're bringing opportunities that with this we are equipped, we are made ready to go out and bring in the harvest. Those people who you've been preparing who have been asking these questions to themselves and now will ask these questions to us, Lord. We thank you that you have been preparing a harvest that as we go equipped to reap it, Lord, that will be the result. As we go prepared to have these conversations, even these difficult ones about hard things like sin and death and suffering in the world, Lord, we thank you that you gain a glorious harvest out of the preparation that has happened here tonight and in these Wednesday studies. God, we thank you that you will use this time of study to build your kingdom. Thank you for building us up. Thank you for making us righteous. Lord, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for coming tonight. Um, as I had mentioned before, this was our last session in our spring semester of Answers in Genesis, and so we will be back in the fall diving into Unit 3. Are you all coming back for Unit 3 in the fall? Amen. Awesome. Well, go and be blessed. <laughs>